From the Ohio School Boards Association, I'm Scott Gerfin. This is Leading the Way, brought to you by Sedgwick. Jennifer Hogue, OSBA's Director of Legislative Services, is with me today. Obviously, a new General Assembly began in January. We already have several bills out there that are impacting public education, including the budget bill uh, that the governor introduced here prior to February. Today, though, I wanted to focus on school vouchers. And I know one specific bill that's been introduced uh, is Senate Bill 11. Vouchers have been in existence here in Ohio, what, they started maybe 20 years ago, and they've continued to expand. What would Senate Bill 11 do? Right, so Senate Bill 11 is sponsored by Senator Sandra O'Brien. It's pending in the Senate Education Committee and has had a couple of hearings so far. But really what that bill would do is expand eligibility for EdChoice scholarships to all students um, in grades K through 12, beginning with the 23-24 school year. So um, it would take basically the Cleveland Scholarship Program and roll it into um, the EdChoice program and make that available for all. Yeah, so I think when vouchers started out, they were really a, like a pilot program that um, was designed to help impoverished families get out of failing schools. And that has just gradually morphed over time, right? Correct, Scott. So the first ones that we saw were dealing just with academically challenged buildings. Um, you had to meet certain performance criteria in order to be an eligible building, and then families could choose to go somewhere else um, with a voucher through the EdChoice scholarship. That then morphed to um, include income eligibility, and so certain thresholds were set. If you were below a certain federal poverty guideline threshold, you could also receive a voucher to go to a school um, outside of your public school. Um, and we've seen that then kind of grow as they've changed the eligibility criteria on the academic side, and then both raising the income threshold over time to include more families as well. Obviously, OSBA is opposed to Senate Bill 11. Why? Great question. We are not opposed to choice. Um, We think that our public schools provide a lot of great choice programs, um, but we are opposed to funding and expanding vouchers, um, particularly before um, we fully fund the fair school funding formula and provide the dollars that have been promised to districts through that formula and are needed to meet the needs of the overwhelming majority of students who are choosing their public school. Um, We also are concerned about the lack of accountability. Um, We watched as the charter school movement grew in this state without the accountability that eventually was put in place, but there was a lot of of abuse and misuse of funds and so we want to make sure that as this program rolls out that it also has accountability measures put in so that students um, academic performance is being reported on a statewide basis similar to what districts receive with their report cards so parents and taxpayers can have the information um, to compare schools across the systems um, and also making sure that we have financial accountability as well with uh, reporting requirements and audits similar to what public schools and other public entities that spend taxpayer dollars do. Yeah so so what we're really seeing here is the money under this bill, Senate Bill 11, the money would follow the child, right? Correct. And, so, and where does that money come from? The money comes from the general revenue fund, which pays for most of the state portion of education in the state. The vouchers would actually provide 5500 for students in grades K through 8 and 7500 for students in grades 9 through 12. And that money would then be paid um, directly to the school that they've chosen. So one thing that I, I really haven't heard is how much, is, how much would this cost? I, I think I've heard figures of... Uh, cost taxpayers an additional one billion per year. I don't know if that's correct. I mean, what 
what numbers are out there? What is there anything firm or concrete yet? Yeah, and so we've talked specifically so far about Senate Bill 11, but there are other pieces out there. So the cost on Senate Bill 11, which is being estimated by the Legislative Service Commission, is about 528 million um, in each of the next two years. And the big cost driver on that is the fact that Senate Bill 11 provides vouchers to all. So not just students who are in public schools and maybe would be then selecting to go somewhere else, but also for private school students who are private pay tuition now and don't have a voucher. So really the bulk of that money is coming from there. The Legislative Service Commission is assuming that all of the 90,500 um, chartered non-public school students would seek that you know, subsidy for their tuition from the state. Um, and so that's what's driving that $528 million. When you look at other bills, um, House Bill 11 that was recently introduced, the backpack bill, similar to House Bill 290 in the last General Assembly, that provides vouchers also to homeschool students. So when you take into account the homeschool and the private school students, that's a billion dollar price tag. So you, you talked about, we have Senate Bill 11, which is universal vouchers. You, you just mentioned then House Bill 11, correct? Correct. So how are those two different? They are different. So House Bill 11 actually sets up um, educational savings accounts where the money will be deposited there and then parents can draw that money down for a host of different educational options, either paying tuition, they could be doing summer school or after school educational opportunities, supplies, curriculum, and that would be available to all students across the state, K through 12 as well. And it would be administered through the Treasurer of State's office, which is a little bit different. The voucher programs today and the voucher program proposed in Senate Bill 11 are all run through the Department of Education. So as we've discussed here, the, the one question I have is why, why is the state increasing dollars for vouchers faster than the legislature is increasing dollars to fully fund, as you said, the fair school funding plan and that's a great question and information that we continue to share with them the fact that you know the vast majority of students are choosing their public school and that that's where the investments are required to be made based on the constitution and that we believe that that should be their first step um, before they offer any other sort of choice option and funding those options you've been attending some of those hearings their proponent testimony at this point so that would be those who are in favor of the bill mm -hmm. What are we seeing? What, what are you seeing? Who are, who are coming before lawmakers on these committees and, and what are the stories they're telling? Great question. What we're seeing is a lot of really compelling stories um, from both individuals who are operating and working in the private schools as well as students um, who have made that choice and the programming that they're able to access and the success that they're seeing and those are great stories and we have great private schools all across the state um, and so it's really powerful especially when they bring in a student and a parent who is explaining um, the great opportunities that they have through this program but what's missing is we have great programs in public education as well and right. I think it's just as important for individuals working in our public schools and families and students who have chosen their public school to come and share those same kind of stories as well. Um, that's something you know we don't do enough is sharing and telling about all of the great things that are happening in public education and the opportunities and options through different kinds of public schools and different kinds of programming available um, that we offer to students every day and that they're choosing. So as, as these hearings progress, I would imagine then our public school communities will have an opportunity to do the same. They absolutely will to have the opportunity to come in and testify and share their success stories and um, show off their amazing students that they have and the great work that those students are doing and the work that they're doing each and every day to impact the future success of students. So you mentioned 
coming in to testify, what else can our public school districts do? Well, I think oftentimes you can show someone better than you can tell them, and so I think it's important, especially for school districts and public schools, to be inviting their legislators out. Open your doors, bring them in, let them see and feel what education looks like for students in your buildings. Let them talk with your students and learn about your students' needs and wants and desires and how those can best be met by the policy decisions being considered at the State House. In terms of board members, I think board members can be a good driver here in terms of letting their school communities know when there's opportunities to testify and to kind of maybe help organize these kinds of visits, right? Because they're the ones that do have these relationships with their lawmakers or should have these relationships, right? Correct. They're elected officials, just like the lawmakers sitting in those chairs, and so they should have those relationships. But they also um, are an important conduit to the community to share information about what's happening. And so we put out facts in a flash. Um, we send the link to legislative liaisons with information on the bills, and all of that information is free to be shared with the public to help inform them about the opportunities to share their voice at the State House as well. So I wanted to talk about uh, the, the biennial budget bill that the governor introduced. And tell me what's in there in terms of vouchers. So what did he introduce? What was his proposal? Right, there's actually a different voucher proposal in the budget. And so what the governor has chosen to do, remember we talked about the income eligibility threshold, is to raise that up to 400% of poverty. And that means really looking at about $111,000 a year for a family of four. Um, so that would greatly expand the pool of students available to receive a voucher. And that's proposed again in the budget bill. What are some of the other things that are on the table? Uh, I know the House, House Republicans introduced their uh, priorities in bills, a number of bills. I know one of those bills was a, a tax reform bill. Tell me a little bit about that. Right, so um, the House's bill, House Bill 1, is a tax reform bill, and it looks at um, income tax and flattening that income tax, but it also includes changes to um, local property taxes, and so it takes away the um, payments that districts receive on the homestead rollback. We think that that dollar figure is probably around $1.2 billion. Oh, wow. It also changes the way housing is assessed for levy purposes, and so we're still trying to get a handle on how that interplays with House Bill 920, which changes how levies are structured over time as inflation comes and goes, um, but we are still trying to figure out what the dollar amounts for those will be. But we know that what it's going to, in effect, do is lower the amount of local revenue being collected by districts currently, and with that money not being you know, paid through the funding formula or some other means, it's going to force districts to go back to the ballot to levy additional mills. As you've been stressing, we need to fully implement the fair funding formula right? And that, that hasn't been done yet. Correct. That was a massive undertaking by the work group. They've put together a formula that takes into account student needs. Um, it's fair. It's balanced. It takes into account um, district property valuations as well as income and ability to pay and really would meet the needs of students and provide the resources necessary for districts to provide the opportunities to make students successful. Uh, one other thing I wanted to ask you about is uh, I think it's Senate Bill 1 and, and House Bill 12, and this, this involves restructuring the State Board of Education. Where is that and what does that entail? That bill is currently pending in their respective House Education Committee. So Senate Bill 1, which is the House's version of the restructuring, I'm sorry, the Senate's version of the restructuring bill is pending in the Senate Education Committee. Um, it's probably nearing the end of its time there. I think they're looking to move that. President Huffman's been pretty vocal. He wants it 
over in the House by the end of March, um, and they've done one round of amendments to that. The House bill, House Bill 12, is pending in the House Education Committee. It's getting its second hearing next week, so it's still in sort of its infancy stages in terms of hearings, but that bill was around in the lame duck session, so legislators are familiar with it. And that bill, again, would restructure the Department of Education, renaming it the Department of Education and Workforce. It would also have a director of that department appointed by the governor, along with two deputy directors, one for K-12 education and one for career tech. It would redo all of the duties and roles of the State Board of Education, leaving them with just selecting a state superintendent of public instruction, dealing with educator licensures and territory transfers. Um, they would still have the same makeup with you know, 11 elected and eight appointed members but their role would be greatly reduced in all of the things that they do today in an open transparent way with interested party feedback and participation would move to the department where does osba stand on on senate bill one and, and house bill 12. right we are opposed to those bills um, particularly because of the eroding of the role of the state board of education we believe that the proper structure is to have a fully elected state board of education that's accountable to the citizenry that elects them and can help carry messages and, and receive feedback from parents and districts Finally, uh, we've been hearing about vouchers, like I said, over, you know, they started in the 1990s as a pilot program and just have increased. Now we're talking universal vouchers. How, how serious is this? I mean, should our, how, you know, we, we encourage our members to testify. We encourage our members to call legis our, their legislators. This is important, right? It is absolutely important, and especially when you look at it coupled with the tax reduction bill, right. the tax reform bill, um, you know, Resources are necessary to provide opportunities and meet the needs of students. And without those resources being there to be provided because you have a lower tax rate or you're spending dollars on a different system or providing um, funding to a family who's always attended private school and has the means to do so, that takes away opportunities for economically disadvantaged students in particular who have chosen their public school and need additional resources and supports in order to be successful and to be prepared in the way that we want every child to be prepared. And I know you, uh, the legislative team, uh, are attending hearings, talking to lawmakers. I know you guys can't do it alone, and that's why we need our members and their school communities to also be on our side and be there at the state house and doing whatever they can as well. And like you said, inviting legislators into their district. What, what can you share with members in terms of how can you help members get this done? Absolutely, we are here to help you. Um, as you said, we're talking to legislators every day and we're happy to do it. That's why we do the work that we do. Um, but we can't put a personalized spin on it. We right. don't understand the nuances of each and every community the way that board members do or the individual success stories that they have seen over time with students. And so it's important that those stories be shared with legislators and they're in the best position to do that. And we can help them by providing talking points. If you need contact information for your legislator, we're happy to do that. If you've never tested and want to practice with us we're here to help you do that we can help you um, by reading over your testimony and offering suggestions and teaching you the protocol um, anything that you might need we are here to help you be successful in your advocacy but but as you mentioned the legislators sitting on these committees and hearing these bills right now they are hearing from the private school students the charter school students they are hearing from them they need to hear from the public school student too correct 
Yeah, when I worked in the legislature, my boss would often tell me the world is run by the people who show up, and it is so true. You know, they're collecting information, things are happening quickly and on the fly, and if they are missing a piece of information because you, no one showed up to share it with them and to share their story, um, you know, the other side's running the world. Jennifer, thanks again for coming on the podcast. I know it's you and uh, Nicole Piscitani in the legislative division. That's who to get a hold of. Absolutely, and we're happy to help you anytime. Thanks, Jennifer. Thank you. Whether you're a new board member or a seasoned veteran, you'll benefit from hearing the latest in legislation, board development, student achievement, and other critical topics at the Board Leadership Institute, April 28th and 29th in Columbus. This event will broaden your expertise, sharpen your leadership skills, and better equip you to tackle the challenges facing your district. Developed by board members for board members, this event features learning sessions tailored to you. Learn more and register at allhouseschoolboards.org.